1: You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in everybody to another edition of
2: the Huddle Up! Podcast presented as always by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, my co-host and partner in crime. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 sports through thick and thin. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, dude, the play clock, that was at zero on third and seven with 2:03 left in the game. But the refs let Pat Mahomes get the playoff, gash the Broncos for 35 yards, which virtually guaranteed KC a touchdown instead of a field goal.
3: What is it with the Broncos and Shoddy refereeing? It's every single week they get screwed over. It's absolutely brutal, inexplicable, unacceptable. The NFL needs to take charge because the the zebras are really screwing the Broncos over every single week. Have you now
2: we've both talked about this about the we're resistant to the idea of blaming losses on refereeing and officials, but like it's kind of the same thing with this team right now. Like, if any of you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, like he talks a lot about staying away from the "I can't catch a break" guy. Like, just don't let that juju into your wheelhouse. Stay away from the the guy that's always complaining, "I can't catch a break," always down on his luck. That's kind of how it is with the Broncos right now. Is like two weeks in a row. They just can't catch a break, but at the same time, as much as you can point to them you know, being on the, the losing end of some not-so-good officiating, Zach, they had a chance to put that game away themselves without any help from the refs, and they just
3: they couldn't get it done. I'm of the mindset that you should never point fingers because you should not put yourself in a position where the referees determine the outcome of a game. Yeah, it was a bad call. Uh, ejecting Philip Lindsay was a bad call last week, but like you said, they should have take, taken care of them. They should have won that game. That was a winnable game. For three and a half quarters or so, the Broncos played a masterful game against the undefeated Chiefs, and even though the referees committed an error there, uh, it falls on the Broncos for not executing. We're going to dissect this game from top to
2: bottom. we got a lot to get to, obviously, today. Uh, but first, got to just handle some quick business. Make sure you guys are aware and follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Also, if you haven't done so, take some time. Go leave a creative review. Rate the show wherever you listen to the show, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher, iHeart. We love the engagement and the comments on YouTube. But also rate the show, Google Play, Spreaker, wherever you're listening to the show. Just take some time. It's a huge way to help the show, helps us to reach new listeners and grow. And also, find all of the applicable social media accounts on Facebook and Twitter for Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. There's two Facebook accounts, there's two Twitter accounts, and then you can find Zach on Twitter at Kelberman247, myself at Chad and Jensen. And one last thing before we dive into today's topics we got to talk a little bit about some fantasy football. Do you play fantasy football? If so, make sure you stay ahead of the curve with a new podcast called Fantasy Foresight. Hosts Jay and Ben focus 100% on fantasy football. They share their total foresight with private metrics and projections to help you win your fantasy football league. If you play fantasy football, whether you're a savvy vet or if this is your rookie season, you can't afford to miss their podcast. Again, it's called Fantasy Foresight. Find it on iTunes, Fantasy Foresight on iTunes. For those of you who want to step your own game up in the fantasy realm, win your league, find Fantasy Foresight on iTunes. All right, Zach, let's get to this thing. We'll, we'll just kind of start from the top with the offense because it was Case Keenum who started the day for the Broncos. Uh, the Broncos received the ball to start, and, you know, they, they found an immediate groove on the ground. And just like we – I mean, it was no surprise when we were talking about keys to the game – almost virtually all of our analysis from the website leading up to this game hinged around, focused on the fact that the Broncos needed to, you know, rely on the strengths of their team, and that is the running game. And it was right out of the gates. I mean, we knew this Chiefs defense was susceptible to all forms of offensive attack, but especially on the ground, we knew that they were going give, to give up a lot of yards, and that's exactly what happened right out of the gates. You saw guys like Philip Lindsay. And Royce Freeman just trucking fools, picking up, I mean, just averaging five to seven yards per clip right out of the gates, which allowed the Broncos to pick up some early momentum. And yet still Keenum as a passer, he wasn't
3: quite able to really ever throughout this game get into much of a groove. You know, usually a running game is the quarterback's best friend, Mm -hmm. and it was his worst enemy last night. He couldn't get anything going. The second game in a row where he didn't throw any touchdowns, second game in a row where he had a bad interception, uh, he's just not performing to his contract right now. He's getting paid $18 million, and to throw for 245 yards, no touchdowns, 33 passes, on a night where the Broncos are running at will against Kansas City. It doesn't just fall on him, it falls on Bill Musgrave in the coaching, but Case Keenum is not playing like a franchise quarterback, he's playing like a journeyman, and that was the worst case scenario for Denver, is not getting the Vikings version of him, but getting the previous version of Case Keenum. You
2: know, we've talked about that a lot on the show, it's like, we skipped the Rams version of Keenum, and the Broncos are getting the Texans version of Keenum, it seems, the last couple games, but we definitely are going to have to talk and spend some time on Bill Musgrave here in just a minute, but... I want to touch on a couple things that you brought up. I mean, the Broncos, as far as return on investment, for the most part, John Elway as a GM, as a front office czar, has done a good job of getting good ROI on his his free agent investments, I mean, dating all the way back to 2011. And more often than not, he overshoots projections on returns when it comes to signing free agents and under-the-radar guys. And when this signing was made back in March, it felt like this was a type of underrated uh, pickup that could go on to be that type of a signing for the Broncos that could, you know, overshoot projections and fly under the radar and do some do some good things. But through the first four games, Keenum is certainly not living up to it. The Broncos paid him twenty five million dollars guaranteed, obviously two years, thirty six million, but twenty five million of that fully guaranteed, and he's not getting it done. I mean, at the end of that game with the Broncos down, they needed a touchdown, down by four, time's running out, You're, you got under a minute and you're on third down, and the Chiefs just serve it up to you on a platter. They call cover two, and Keenum does a great job of holding the safety in the middle of the field just long enough for DT to squirt past uh, Skandrick there on the right sideline, and he overshoots it. Case Keenum is being paid. I mean, if if Thomas catches that ball, if that's complete, if that's a competent quarterback completing an easy pass – that he walks in for a touchdown, game over, Broncos upset the Chiefs. It's a completely different narrative on Monday morning. But instead, he misses it, he fires high. And again, that's, I mean, the Broncos are paying him this year $18 million to connect. We knew the margin of error, Zach, for this game was going to be ne- next to, you know, non-existent. Now we got excuses from Case Keenum on Monday, making excuses. Oh, I'm going to have to look at the film. Patrick Mahomes didn't need any excuses, dude. He just found
3: a way when the chips were down to get it done. That's a throw that a high school quarterback could make, let alone an NFL franchise hopeful. He was wide open to Marius Thomas, streaking down the sideline. And he wasn't even close. It was three yards out of bounds over his head. And people, I've seen people on Twitter blame Marius Thomas for his route running. That was not his fault at all. He was wide open. He did his job. And you made a good point that Keenum looked off the safety. He had him there. Yep. You have to make that throw. You have to. There's no question about it. Trevor Simeon would have made that throw. Maybe even Paxton Lynch. But for an $18 million-a-year quarterback, you have to do it. And Vance Joseph talked about Case Keenum making fourth-quarter comebacks, but they played against weaker opponents. I don't think the Seahawks or the Raiders are that great. When the chips were down against the Ravens and the Chiefs, two elite opponents, Keenum hasn't performed. He's not living up to his money at all. He's been to this point. I, I would say going into this week that he he's more good than bad, but now I think he's shown more bad than good. He's very disappointing to me. See, I think a guy like Case Keenum, this is our first
2: opportunity for him with, in his brief, well, six-year career to really be the guy. It's his first opportunity that the team's really showed a commitment to him financially, letting him know he's going to be the unquestioned starter. He's not really feeling any pressure behind him. And I think that pressure and that feeling of if I don't execute and elevate my game, I could lose my job at any moment I think that's a huge part of the equation for Keenum. If he doesn't have that feeling of imminent doom lest I execute, we don't get the same player that you saw last year. I mean last year I think there was a reason why the Vikings never named him the starter because I think they understood somewhere that the psychology of Case Keenum was made up by this part of the equation being that he had to feel like his seat was hot. He had to feel like at any moment the team could pull the rug out from under him, and so I gotta I gotta lay it out, out on the line. And I'm not saying necessarily that he's complacent right now for the Broncos, but I think there's something to be said, Zach, for Case Keenum not really feeling any pressure behind him. And I don't say that to take anything away from Chad Kelly because you know he came a long way in the summer as far as from being a complete non-factor third-string guy to winning the backup job. But let's face it, in this moment, he's not really pushing Case Keenum for a job. But should the Broncos – here's my question. Should the Broncos find a way – with Chad Kelly, to put a little bit more pressure on Case Keenum, whether that means you know, kind of subconsciously communicating the message by giving Kelly a few more extra first-team reps, let Keenum know that the Broncos are now having to think outside of the box, they're now having to consider other options because he's not getting it done. Do you think that can help
3: make Case Keenum better, you know, play with more urgency? That's a great, great point that you made. He's been fueled by doubt in his career. He's always been passed up. He's always been looked over. He, like you said, he wasn't given a chance with the Vikings. They had Bridgewater. They had Bradford. He wasn't cemented as the number one guy. And he was fueled by that by that disrespect that he, that he determined that he was getting. Whether he'd be pushed by Chad Kelly, I don't know that this coaching staff has the balls to do that. Hmm. I just don't think Vance Joseph has the stones. He keeps throwing his support behind him. And praising him, immediately backing him, and supporting him, and talking about his grit and his intangibilities. Intangibilities don't win football games, production does. And his production has not been good enough yet. But yet, on the flip side, they brought in a punter to push Marquette King, and Joseph has gone out of his way to rag on Marquette King and just completely exonerate Case Keenum. So, should they give Kelly a few more reps, would that help motivate Case Keenum? Maybe. But will it happen? I just don't think Vance Joseph has the the guts to do that. I think he knows that Case Keenum is his lifeline to this job right now. If Keenum fails, it means the Broncos fail, and it means Vance Joseph is gone. So he'll keep riding with him until those wheels fall off.
2: Yeah, and you know, one, I, I think you're one hundred percent right. Nothing's going to change in that regard. You're not going to all of a sudden see Chad Kelly get some you know major uptick in reps in practice or anything like that. Even though. It might not hurt for someone to say to to Case Keenum right now, someone, whether it's Vance Joseph or even John Elway, to call him upstairs and have a little heart-to-heart that, hey, look, dude, we paid you. This could have been a three-, four-year contract. You only got two years for a reason. I mean, there's a reason why it was only a two-year deal. Let's not forget. Yeah, you just made enough money to make yourself, your children, and your children's children wealthy uh, for the rest of their lives to never have to worry about money. But your career... I mean, you still got 10 years left in the tank. You know, everything goes good. And, you know, if you want that to be in Denver, you got to play with more urgency. Now, before everyone jumps off the cliff of gloom and doom and the sky's falling and all that, here's one thing I just want to give you some perspective on. And I wrote about this after the game on Sunday. But you got to remember, too, like when we're talking about a transplant quarterback here that's still, you know, how long can you go using the excuse that he's still kind of building chemistry and settling in and all that? That's a question that we'll try and answer today. But if you look back through the scope of recent Broncos history, back in 2012, Peyton Manning comes. He had just missed a full season with his neck with the Colts. Colts cut him. He comes to Denver. And there were some real questions as to whether or not he was ever going to be the same quarterback uh, again. And off the bat, it didn't look too encouraging. They did win their opener against Pittsburgh with Peyton Manning under center for the first time as a Bronco. But they would go on in the first quarter of the season. Well, the first five games, they went two and three. And the Broncos were sub 500. It was not looking good. There were some major questions, some major doubt around the NFL about the Denver Broncos. John Elway rolled the dice. He gambled. He's going to lose. Peyton doesn't have it anymore. The neck injury cost him. Yada, yada, yada. Well, then the Broncos just finally clicked. You know, they had enough real live bullet situations together with that team, with Peyton Manning at the top. To finally kind of come together, and then they went on rattled off 11 straight wins. They did, they did not lose again in the regular season. They did not lose again. Get the first round by, go on to the divisional round. We all know what happened. Raheem Moore, the Baltimore Ravens, come in, and the rest is history. But I only lay that out for you. Not I'm not comparing Case Keenum to Peyton Manning. So pump the brakes right. on that. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying situationally, it's similar in that you've got veteran quarterback transplanted, being paid some significant coin taking some time to kind of soak it all in and build some chemistry. Do you think we should still, at this point, Zach, be giving Keenum some benefit of the doubt
3: in that regard? Yeah, it's still the first quarter of the season, but that excuse can't hold water for much longer. He's already coming off his first loss in Baltimore. Now he's coming off consecutive losses and consecutive bad games. They need to beat the teams they should beat, and that starts Sunday against the Jets. So if he rebounds and shows some progress instead of regression, uh, yeah, there, there's signs for optimism there. But you can't, you know, it's October ready. You can't talk about chemistry. We have the whole off season, all training camp, all the preseason, and to this point in the regular season. So, yeah, he's still building chemistry, still finding his way, and still gelling with everyone. But that can't hold water for much longer. He has to get going now. It's time right now. They're two and two. Uh, the honeymoon is kind of wearing off a little bit. He has to get going. There's no excuse for it.
2: Yep, and I agree. And the fact that he has not thrown a touchdown pass since week one, I mean, that's a glaring statistic. The fact that he's thrown an interception in each and every game thus far, that's a glaring statistic. So the onus is on him to turn the ship around. The Broncos almost shocked the world. The Broncos almost knocked off the undefeated Chiefs. I mean, it was there for the taking, but they fell short because their quarterback couldn't execute in the clutch. Now, he wasn't helped at all late in the game by his offensive coordinator, Bill Musgrave. Now, I talked about this on, on social media. Those of you who follow me on Twitter, I fell on the sword in a sense because I have been uh, very positive in my analysis of Bill Musgrave up to this point. And I think he's a major reason why this this offense has been so prolific on the ground and why they they're calling a lot of – I mean, even in the passing game, his concepts – are winning concepts, that play that got Demarius Thomas open, for example, late in the game that Case Keenan missed down the right sideline against cover two shell uh, coverage. I mean, that was a great play design by Bill Musgrave. Mm-hmm. Great play design. It just wasn't executed by the quarterback. However, the Broncos shouldn't have even been in that position because if you go back and flip it back one more possession, the Chiefs had just scored their first of two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, narrowing the margin to three points. The Broncos had... Uh, you know, they got the ball back with about six minutes. So, you know, you want to see them at that point holding the lead by three points. You want to see them run the quote-unquote four-minute offense. Now, obviously, in this situation, it's more like a six-minute offense, but the bottom line being that you need to stay on the field. You need to control the clock. Your defense just got gassed with a big, long drive. They gave up a TD. Your opponent's now coming back. You have to sustain, create some momentum, stay on the field. What's the best way to do that? Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist uh, to realize that the, the way to do that is to run the ball. Even if you're a team up to this point who had not had a lot of success on the ground, the onus is on you. It's incumbent upon you to keep the ball on the ground, to keep the clock running. But in this case, what made it even worse, Zach was the fact that the Broncos had dominated the Chiefs on the ground to the tune of 159 yards. I mean, as a team, they were averaging over seven yards per clip against the Chiefs, and so what does Musgrave do? He calls a run on first down, oddly, out of the shotgun. He calls it out of the shotgun. Now, if you're trying to stay on the field, why don't you bring in your big old fullback who's been blowing up linebackers all day, bring in your uh, grinder running back in Royce Freeman, and ISO block the living snot out of the frickin' Chiefs and just blow them off the block. That's not what he did. Instead, he comes out in the shotgun, hands it off to Philip Lindsey, Stop for no gain. Then second down, pass to Emmanuel Sanders, no gain. Stopped inbounds, clock uh, continues to run. And then on third down, it's third and ten, so I can understand why he would call a pass there, but he's, I still think he should have ran the ball, knowing that there was probably a 50-50 chance the Broncos could have picked up that that first down on the ground with how good they'd been up to this point. So that was just one situation. Of course, the Broncos go three and out. They immediately have to punt the ball back to the Chiefs. Marquette King pooches it off the side of his foot. It only goes 35 yards. Mahomes has the ball at his own 40. And he's in business, dude. But Musgrave did not help his team out. And that's just one situation out of many, Zach, that just left me mystified. It's like, At what point does Musgrave realize that that is not Peyton Manning operating the offense? That's Case Keenum. That's Case Keenum. And when you have an an offensive line just blowing dudes away, you have two running backs in the zone, you're averaging over seven yards per carry, that has to be the tip
3: of your spirit in the fourth quarter protecting a two-score lead. First off, I don't have a problem with his play designs. I think he's pretty innovative, actually. I've been pretty impressed in that department. His play calling, though, leaves a lot to be desired. There is no reason why... On a night like last night, they only have 22 total touches or carries. And two of those, one's Devontae Booker, one's Emmanuel Sanders. To give Phillip Lindsey only 12 carries and Royce Freeman only 8 carries? Yeah. And he was averaging 8.4 yards? They were gashing them over and over. Why would you have Case Keenum throw 33 times on a night they're averaging 8.4 for Freeman and 5.8 for Lindsay? It makes no sense to me. And I said this on last week's pod, I, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. They don't know their identity. They still don't know what they want to be. Do they want to be a passing offense? Do they want to be a running offense? You can't kind of be both. And it's obvious that this offense goes through its running backs. You have two really good rookie running backs. Why not ride their hot hands? Why call a passing play? For a quarterback who's been struggling, and even against the worst defense in the NFL, he couldn't get anything going. So his play selections, especially in the second half of last night's game, left a lot to be desired. And like you said, he doesn't have Peyton Manning back there. He has Case Keenum. You're not going to win a game strictly on the arm of Case Keenum. You're going to win using the run to set up Keenum's game. He's his best off play action. Had he went off play action, you get the running game going. It was fine. They both scored touchdowns. They should have ran, ran, ran down the Chiefs' throats. Yep. They should have not passed 33 times last night. Uh, Musgrave is at fault for a big chunk of why they lost last night's game.
2: Both of us picked the Broncos to lose this game, and if you go back and read the Mile High uh, Roundtable article in which Zach, myself, and everyone else on staff, we weigh in with our predictions, uh, pre-game pick, you know, make our pick, and and a score goes into it as well. Both of us picked the Broncos to lose, even though we saw a path to victory. We picked the Broncos to lose because this coaching staff had still not done enough to prove to us that they could have their team prepared and play to their own strengths consistently for a full 60 minutes. Now, going into week four, we had seen that be a huge problem on the other side of the ball. Joe Woods designing game plans and calling plays that went against his own team's strengths. And it's just something that, you know, all the off coverage – really soft uh, in the secondary, not dialing up the pressure. I mean, you're not playing to your team's strength defensively. And we'll, we'll save our conversation for Woods here in a few minutes, but obviously that changed a lot in Week 4. He had a very inspired game for Patrick Mahomes. I didn't expect it to be uh, Musgrave, the one that I'd have to be criticizing the game after mm-hmm. because he's. Uh, this is the one. I mean, going into this game, we knew that you had to lead with the run. For the most part, the Broncos did But protecting a two-score lead in the fourth quarter, you go away from that. I mean, Case Keenum has not shown enough up to this point. He really hasn't shown anything, not just not enough. He hasn't shown you anything that should lead a coach to believe that I can put this on Keenum to move the ball in a situation in which we need to stay on the field, we need to chew up some clock, we need our defense to rest. There is no empirical evidence to suggest Case Keenum was – was, should have been given the opportunity to do that. It should have been the running backs continuing to lead the charge. And if you don't pick up 10 yards and three opportunities, fine, you punt the ball. But the freaking clock is moving. Yes. After each snap, it's just so frustrating. You got to wonder. And here's another thing that was interesting, Zach. Musgrave had, up to this point, as a Bronco, as from the time he was promoted to interim offensive coordinator up until yesterday. He had been a sideline coordinator. He was always on the field talking to his quarterback on the sideline. Last night, for some reason, he changed it up. He was in
3: the booth calling that game Mm -hmm. from on high. So you got to wonder what precipitated that change. The the coaching staff must have saw something. Maybe they thought they can get a better vantage point being up high. Um, But the thing with uh, running the ball, too, is it keeps Mahomes on the sideline. If you're protecting a two-score lead, two-possession lead in the fourth quarter, salt away the clock and keep Mahomes watching you. Yeah. Why put it on the hands of of Case Keenum when your running backs are running so well? And I agree with you. Musgrave has been the strength among the Broncos coordinators. I like Tom McMahon too, uh, but Joe Woods is definitely the weakest link. And I had a lot of faith in Bill Musgrave to have a game plan that would take advantage of the Kansas City defense. And to only put up 23 points, I thought that was a little bit of a letdown. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was points left for the taking there, yards left for the taking. Definitely. No touchdowns by their quarterback. Uh, you know, 20 carries between your two dynamic rookie running backs. That play calling is so bad. Yeah. And it, it's you can't exonerate it. Yeah, after the game I wrote that, you know, Keenum
2: actually dropped back 37 times. Yeah, he had 33 attempts, but he was sacked four times. And they probably should have – he probably should have been closer to around 22 to 25 passing attempts on that game. And had the Broncos' ratio, run-to-pass ratio, been closer to that, I think you would have seen the the team find a way to win this in the fourth quarter. But they just went away from their strengths. And even after the game – Vance Joseph, he tried to defend what the Broncos did late in the game and running the ball. We, we published a piece about it on Sunday night. But I want to play for you really quick. His, he, he lays out an argument which collapses on itself immediately. But here what, here's what Vance Joseph had to say really quick about the team's decision to throw.
1: Well, our, our offensive line has been really good all year. You know, And both young backs, I mean, they ran downhill. They had 70-plus yards apiece. They ran downhill. But you score points by throwing the football. So we ran a ball to control the game, and you, scored a, you throw the ball to score. So that's never going to stop.
2: All right, Zach. So we know oh here, God. obviously, that, you know, that's, a, that's a football cliche that is true. I mean, cliches become cliches because they're true. You run the ball to control the game. You pass to score. We get that. But that at that point in the game, you're not trying to score. You're, you're actually trying to control the game.
3: Thus, you should have ran the ball. It's just it makes no sense. It, he contradicted himself right away because they weren't winning the game with their with their passing game. Keenum had no touchdowns. And also, uh, why would you want to drop him back and pass when he was getting sacked and hit constantly over and over again? Does he not see what's going on in the field? You win the game, this Broncos offense is built to win on the ground. They had two touchdowns on the ground, no touchdowns through the air. So I disagree with that. It was a major contradiction, like it always is with Vance Joseph.
2: Yep. And it was kind of a quiet night for the receivers. Cortland Sutton targeted six times, three catches, 51 yards. He almost had a touchdown. Um, Picked up a nice, long, deep ball for uh, 42 yards and then also a a timely pass interference that put the Broncos in business on the five. Demaryius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, productive days in terms of targets. They both picked up seven, but they weren't really able to find much purchase with the ball in their hands. But Jeff Hierman, surprisingly, we were wondering what was going to happen with Jake Butt being gone. We knew, obviously, that Hierman was going to have to step up to the table. He tied for the team lead with seven targets, hauled in four of them for 57 yards, including one of those daggers on that final possession that helped the Broncos you know, get into, get into scoring position late. They ended up coming up short. But Jeff Hierman, I thought, played very well. My one gripe is this, Zach. Three of, of Keenum's interceptions – He's got six on the air. Three of them have come while targeting the tight end. And it was no different Sunday night or Monday night football with he. I mean, here's the thing. He did throw that pick and it was underthrown. And the DB of the Chiefs made a phenomenal play on that ball. Like it was just an acrobatic catch. And haul, I mean, who knows how he hauled that in. That's but on Jeff Hyreman's Heirman. got to fight for that ball, dude. He got like, to. You know, Eric Trickle talks about this a lot. That you know, Hierman's a guy that, as a tight end, as a passing target, he's the type of guy that if you don't put it right on the money, it's not going to complete. And we're seeing that he he's he's alligator arming it. He's not going for the ball. He's not attacking the ball. And I think in this case, yeah, it was an underthrown ball by Case Keenum, but Jeff Hireman is complicit in that interception as well.
3: He has size and strength on the smaller defensive back. That was a DB's first interception of his career, I believe how do you not fight for it Mm. he was right it wasn't that bad of a throw i mean it was a bad throw but it wasn't terrible a better tight end like travis kelsey gronkowski they would have made that catch that was on hireman to me and he had a pretty good game but he's still not showing what he could be not living up to potential as a former third round pick i I find it funny the broncos waited until jake butt tore his knee to get the tight ends more involved um you want to see more from hireman but he should not be your leading receiver in the game He's a good complimentary piece, but as you've seen, when you throw him the ball, it's a 50-50 chance. He's going to make a good play or bad things are going to happen. And last night you saw. That's two of
2: Keenum's interceptions have come while targeting Jeff Hierman. So they got to be aware of that. Hopefully Hireman can learn from that. Let's Before we move on real quick, though, let's talk about the offensive line. I think by and large, Zach, I was proud of and impressed by the Broncos' offensive line with the exception of early on Garrett Bowles still struggling with the same old issues, and even Jared Valdir giving up some pressure. The edges were a little bit loose to start the game, but then they kind of found their groove and, and put it together a little bit. Gave up some pressures late when the Broncos were having to throw, throw, throw. But I think overall, this offensive line, you got to be completely impressed with the way that Leary, Paradis, and McGovern are playing as an interior trio.
3: McGovern was the best lineman, according to Pro Football Focus, in that game, the highest-graded lineman, and that was very encouraging because he's in his first year as a starter. And Leary has Pro Bowl potential. Uh, The interior O-line was moving bodies. They were bulldozing Chiefs players, pancaking them like IHOP. It was very encouraging. Uh, Matt Paradis, another—what could you say about him? Uh, Iron Man center, the anchor of that O-line. But the tackles, though, they continue to bother me. And I was not surprised by Garrett Bowles. It's just looking like a, I don't want to say the bust word just yet, but he's not getting any better. Yeah. Even with coaching, even with Chris Grouser going down to the field and working with him instead of being up in the box, he's tackling defenders, not just holding them. Yep. He's allowing sacks. He's getting blown off the ball. Uh, one of the commentators mentioned that he didn't, his passing stance was off, mm-hmm. badly off. And that can't happen. You're a former first-round pick in your second year as a starter. There's no excuse. Jared Valdir, he played good to this point. He allowed pressure last night, too. And then he got hurt. And his injury history, uh, that was his downfall with the Cardinals and the Raiders, and it's popping up in Denver now. Yep. Billy Turner looked pretty good to me, though. They might have something there at right tackle. But on Keenum's blind side, Garrett Bowles scares me. He's just not getting any better. And he's not just allowing sacks. He's committing holding penalties. Mm-hmm. It's the worst of both worlds. I'm done making excuses for Garrett Bowles,
2: and he's a guy that I have defended uh, over the last year and a half because of I mean, there's so much about his game that I do love. I love his passion. I love his physicality. I love his bully mentality. But his lack of mental discipline and his temperament are what is getting him in trouble. And really just an overall lack of football IQ and just knowing in a situation what you can and can't do. The Broncos tried to mitigate some of his struggles as a pass protector with the the quick sets. So trying to get quickly set into his pass protection stance as a means of neutralizing some of the bull rush issues that he faced uh, last year but he's just forgetting his technique and again on Monday night he stabilized but there were still several plays that he took his man to the ground one of them he was called for holding penalty but there was two or three others in which he could have been called but they didn't and so every time he's on the field right now unfortunately he's a risk like you have to worry in key moments is Garrett Bowles going to get flagged for some ridiculous lapse in penalty, that's an issue. But flipping it over to the other side, I'm with you on Billy Turner. Like, he looked really good. And as disappointing as it is to see Valdir, who has played well overall, come in and struggle from the injury bug, it's that much more encouraging to see a guy like Billy Turner stop the gap and play really well at right tackle. And the last thing I want to say is, Connor McGovern, do not sleep on this kid actually ending up in the Pro Bowl by the end of the mm-hmm. season. I know that sounds like a, you know, that sounds like a hot take, <laughs> uh, but I'm telling you right now, he is playing at a very, very high level. And if the Broncos go on, and when there's no reason to believe it's going to change, if they go on to be one of the top two or three teams, uh, rushing teams in the NFL, you're going to see at least one of those interior offensive linemen make the Pro Bowl. And right now it's looking
3: like that's going to be Connor McGovern. It could be McGovern, Leary, Paradis. That interior O-line is the strength of them. It's no surprise. I mean, McGovern is probably the strongest player on the team. If you've seen his workouts, he benches like 700 pounds. He's just an animal, yep. and you're seeing that in run blocking, and he's pretty good in pass blocking. But run blocking is his strength, and he was just mauling uh, Chiefs defenders last night. So I'm I'm glad for him. The Broncos made the right decision there, starting him and not uh, moving him or signing another player, trading another player, you know, drafting a player. Yep. Uh, they made the right choice with him. And I think for sure, one of, if not two of, Leary, McGovern, and Paradise will get into the Pro Bowl. We still have a lot to get to. we got to talk about
2: the defensive collapse in the second half, what we saw there. We've got to talk about who needs to step their game up. we got to get to the Mile High mailbag and exercise some demons. But first, we got to talk about the sponsor of today's show, Vivid Seats. You guys, we all love a night out. Whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on the Denver Broncos or the Colorado Rockies or whatever your favorite team might be. With Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert, the show, the sporting event, whatever of your choice at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice to make things even better. Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats to save even more money. Here's how you do it. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Use the promo code HUDDLE and you'll get 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats. I just used this myself. I capitalized on the sponsorship and having that code. One of my favorite bands coming to town, wanted to go see him. I thought, you know what, I'm going to download the app and see if it's available on Vivid Seats. Sure enough, it was. I was able to get that 10% off and get it cheaper there with more security than I could have found it elsewhere. Every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. That's what I mean by security. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app, enter the promo code HUDDLE for 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats. You guys, make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. All right, so we move on to the other side of the ball. We got to talk about the defense, and we touched on it already, but it was an inspired game plan by Joe Woods, and as much as that played a huge role in the equation for how effective the Broncos were for three quarters of that game, I talked about this on social media, I talked about it in some of my written articles after the game, too, but as encouraging as that was, the reason why the Broncos were able to be as effective as they were, Zach, is the defensive backs actually execute it. It takes two to tango in this case. You can't just have, you know, some um, diabolical, excellent play caller, excellent game planning defensive coordinator, and then have a a personnel grouping or have a, a the, the actual players on the field fail to execute what you designed. And that's kind of what we'd seen through the first three games is – well, really, questionable play calling, yes. Questionable game plan, yes. But the players were not executing. The play, and Joe Woods talked about it, defending himself early on in the week before the game, talked about how he had met with Chris Harris Jr., met with the DBs, sat down, explained to them kind of his thought process to how he had been calling games, and tried to get on the same page with them. But even after that, as he explained it, he said, but look, they got to make plays. And you finally saw that from the defensive backs. Bradley Roby played well. Chris Harris played well. Adam Jones played very well. For three Mm -hmm. quarters, it was like, holy cow, this is the type of defense that can be dangerous. This was like a Wade Phillips caliber, not quite to the same level as far as the pass rush, but a Wade Phillips caliber performance from the defense. But in the fourth quarter with the chips down, you let a second-year quarterback in his fifth start. Now, granted... Pat Mahomes, if it wasn't obvious before last night, it better be now. I mean, he's a very special player. There's a reason why he's being compared to all-time greats in only his fifth start. I mean, he is dangerous. He's a phenomenal player. His will to win, his talent, his his physical skill set, all of it, it adds up to an enormous task for any defense. And the Broncos contained him. I mean, the Broncos pretty much put him in a corner and held him down until the fourth quarter in which – They allowed him to go
3: 14 consecutive points, retake the lead, and put it away. Not to be a a player apologist, but a big part of the reason why they were better last night was because the scheme was amended to them to fit their strengths. They pressed more at the line of scrimmage. They played more bump and run. They were way more aggressive than I've ever seen them, probably since Wade Phillips. That was a brand of aggressiveness we have not seen since Wade Phillips left. They were coming out hot. I give the coaching staff a ton of credit for that game plan. They neutralized Travis Kelsey. They confused Pat Mahomes. They kept Tyreek Hill in check for the most part. So they had the game plan down pat. And they were bumping and they were aggressive. And I give Joe Woods a ton of credit. It kind of trailed away, though, in the fourth quarter. And what became their strength, the game plan, kind of went against them. With the aggressiveness, mm-hmm. that whole fourth quarter, they were playing too aggressive, too on line of scrimmage. They should have played a little more zone, not man-on-man. I so You have to be situational there. So for the first three quarters, I give Joe Woods a ton of credit. Yep. That was his best performance I've seen as a Broncos coordinator by far. But that fourth quarter, it kind of reverted him back to what we've seen in 2017 and to this point in the season. But at least there's some um, room for improvement there. I thought Chris Harris Jr. played a hell of a game. Uh, holding his men down. So uh, the game plan was there and the execution was there, but it kind of just trailed off in crunch time.
2: Yeah. I mean, when the chips are down, that's when you need to play. I mean, that's when you need to be at your best. And I agree with you. It was, it was an inspired game plan by Joe Woods. He schemed to his teams, his players strengths, but on second and 30 deep in the Ugh. fourth quarter, you can't call man coverage on a quarterback who's got, 30 yards to go to move the chains and has been scrambling and breaking the pocket and buying himself just enough time for that right arm to just decimate you. So there's certain situational areas in which, yeah, you, you want to see more from from Joe Woods. But also, again, I, I stress this. If I had to, you know, you don't want to push, you know, point fingers and, and play the, the blame game, so to speak, but I saw Denver's defensive collapse in the fourth quarter as more of a result of execution lapses than I did from Joe Woods losing out on it. Now, here's the thing, though. Most fans, you know, when things aren't going good, I get it because I'm a fan too. Uh, I love football. You want to blame the coaches. Most fans, that's the knee jerk, that's the go-to, and I get it, okay? But in this case, last night, the players don't have anyone to blame but themselves. I mean, they had Patrick Mahomes on the ropes up by ten. With 12 minutes to go in the game I mean they had this thing in the bag And it was they, not Joe Woods That let Patrick Mahomes Convert a second and 30 That let Patrick Mahomes continually break the pocket And elude Von Miller That let Patrick Mahomes not only elude Von Miller But convert a pass to
1: The world is always on But you shouldn't be Put junk sleep to bed. During Mattress Firm's sleeping spree event, save up to 50% on ceiling. With queen mattresses starting at $349.99. Only at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details.
3: Tyreek Hill with his left hand that moved the chains. Oh, man. Brutal. Yeah. Um. You can't let him get out of your grasp. Von Miller had him by his legs, and it was a hell of a play by Mahomes. Very Farvian play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, you know, I've been hard on the coaching staff to this point, and for good reason. But I gotta kind of put it a little on the players. You had him right where you want him. No one thought the Broncos would have a two possession lead in the fourth quarter of that game. The offense did enough, you could say, and the defense, to quote Denny Green, let him off the hook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, Chiefs. You can't you have to play perfect football. And the coaches can only do so much. They're not on the field. And the players are on the field. They have to execute. You have to stick with your man. You have to get Patrick Mahomes down. The pass rush was mostly non-existent. And we'll talk about that in just one second here. But you gotta do better than him than that. And you gotta get him down. You can't let him break away. That's his strength. He makes plays out of nowhere. I mean, it turns your head how good he is on the run. Yep. but the you know you can't second and 30 should never ever ever happen and even Chris Harris Jr he was mumbling that to himself on the way to the locker room yesterday they couldn't believe it uh, mm-hmm. but they have no where to point the finger but right up back at themselves if the broncos weren't sure
2: going into the game they know now the chiefs they are who they thought they were <laughs> and yep. there's there's no getting around it you know i i was a little bit loath to jump on the hype train of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, I was kind of slow getting there, but I mean, I can't deny it. He had the kitchen sink thrown at him on Monday Night Football. He had an opposing defense, a divisional foe who knows that offense very well, knows the personnel very well, play lights out and inspired for three quarters, and even in the face and the teeth of that level of opposition, Patrick Mahomes, he was the difference. He was the reason in which the Chiefs were able to mount that comeback and just storm back and win the game. So, what do you do? Sometimes the player is just special, but let's, let's talk about the pass rush. In fact, while we're doing it, we might as well get to the segment of Step Your Game Up because Zach and I both are sharing a brain on who we believe is at a position or at a point in which they have to step it up. And both of us agree, it's Von Miller. You got two games in which the Broncos have lost in a row, both of which, Von Miller failed to tally a single sack. Now, Uh, In Baltimore, I think he came away with a a single solitary pressure and two tackles. Monday night, it was, I mean, I haven't seen exactly yet what the advanced analytics say on pressures, and I have not had time to chart the game myself. So he might have, I mean, there were obviously times in which Von Miller was able to generate some pressure, but he just wasn't able to get home. And the biggest problem here, Zach, is that the Broncos are paying Von Miller $20 million a year essentially right now. And he said it himself last week. He expects to make game-changing plays every week. And yet, in the two games in which the Broncos have needed him the most, got off to a hot start, four sacks in two games, went into week four, tied for the lead league with sacks, but yet again, completely shut out against a second-year quarterback and an opponent in which he knew, Von Miller, going into this game, there were going to be opportunities for him to eat because Patrick Mahomes, and we saw it for ourselves – he likes to hold on to the ball. So, you know, you hate to, you hate to hammer on a guy like Von Miller coming out of a, a, a second loss in a row, but there's no question he's got to step it up. And you know what I see, Zach, is probably one of the reasons in which the Broncos collapsed late in that game. Yeah, I mean, the pass rush wasn't able to get home, but on the field, I think the Broncos could have used some DeMarcus Ware caliber leadership of just galvanizing the troops, so to speak. Von Miller doesn't have that in him. He's a a great figurehead. He's a great face of the team and all that. As a leader, he's just nowhere near the charisma. He's nowhere near the accountability and the, the it factor that a guy like DeMarcus Ware had for his entire career. And I think that was the missing ingredient. It's one of the reasons the Broncos, you know, they started giving up ground and there was no one to really recenter them and galvanize them and give them confidence that they could stop this team
3: from coming back on them. Big time players make t- big time plays in big time situations. Yep. And he's been nowhere to be found against quality opponents. Now, to his uh, in his defense, Mitchell Schwartz, the Chiefs' tackle, has traditionally and historically done well against Von Miller. I don't know why he just has Von's number. Yeah. But he was not. He wasn't even on the field a lot. He was on the sideline for most of the night, or it seemed that way. Mm-hmm. He Bradley Chubb played more snaps than Von Miller last night. That to me falls on the coaching's. That should never happen. Why not put your your best pass rusher, the best edge rusher for my money in the NFL on the field at all times? Was he tired? Maybe. Uh, was his asthma kicking in? Maybe. But he was nowhere to be found, sometimes literally. He was getting checked for an injury. Um, he was just non-existent. Yeah. And they're paying him too much money, and they have too much stock in him and hope in him for him to not do anything. I mean, he had Mahomes in his grasp around his legs. you got to bring him down. you got to get home. And maybe it's a leadership thing, maybe it's a, a passion thing. I don't know. Uh, but he won 30 sacks this year. That's not going to happen. People were buying into that after Week One. Uh, but They have to realize that he's not perfect, and he's open to criticism just like anyone else. And he has to step it up. He's getting paid like a quarterback, like a franchise quarterback. He has to be that franchise playmaker. He talked about being legendary. There was nothing legendary about last night's game. Mahomes was a legendary one, not Von Miller. Yep.
2: Yeah. And the thing is is like he gets compared obviously because they're in the same division they same for a long time they play the same position but Von Miller and Khalil Mack are always going to get compared to one another and you know Von Miller has had stretches in which he's been able to be that game wrecker in the clutch like his streak in 2015 in the playoffs in particular like if you go back and and, and look at uh, just as the box score just just you know very rarely am I going to tell you to be a box score scout But in this case, the box score does tell some of the story. 2015 numbers for Von Miller, they weren't phenomenal in the regular season. But when it mattered most in the playoffs, that's when Miller stepped his game up and he just dominated all the way to not only a Lombardi, but a Super Bowl MVP award for himself. But he, throughout his career, second year 18 and a half sacks, set the franchise record for sacks in a single season, broke his uh, mentor, former mentor, Elvis Dumerville's franchise record. And since then, I mean, I think his career high since 2012 is like 13 sacks, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And last year he barely got over double digits. He barely got to 10 and a half. And so my biggest gripe with Von Miller is, in comparison to Khalil Mack, I honestly think Von Miller is a more balanced and well-rounded player than Khalil Mack. I think he's more dominant against the run, and he is easily the most explosive edge rusher in the NFL. But I think where the the roads diverge between he and Khalil Mack is I think Mack has a little bit more of a knack, and I know I'm gonna get people are gonna be screaming in their cars right now listening to this. (laughs) But the truth hurts. Khalil Mack is more consistent in affecting the game when the chips are down. He's just more consistent in that arena than Vaughn Miller. That's always been my biggest gripe with Vaughn. As much as I appreciate his game, love him as a player, I mean phenomenal player, but he's not consistently the guy making the play. I mean, you can't do it every game. I get that. You know, I mean it's it's a monumental achievement to affect a game changing play in the clutch. I get that. But Von Miller is supposed to be a monumental player. And so maybe you don't do it sixteen games out of sixteen. But you should be doing it through four games. You shouldn't be disappearing two games in a row, especially in the clutch, especially I mean, think about it, Zach. That game plan in the fourth quarter played entirely into Von Miller's repertoire. I mean, his strengths. You got a two-score lead. You got a Chiefs team that is going to have to throw, throw, throw. What happens? I mean, Von Miller should have been freaking pinning his ears back and getting after it and eating. And he was close. There were several plays in which he was close, but no cigar. And you know, I talked about this in my piece after the game too. It's one thing my dad always told me is that almost doesn't pay the bills. And in the same case with Von
3: Miller coming out of this game, almost doesn't equal a W in the standings. I don't think anyone can dispute. Any realistic fan with any shred of integrity can dispute the fact that Khalil Mack is having a better season this year in Chicago than Miller is having in Denver. Every single week, Khalil Mack is doing something to change a game, whether it's a sack, a strip sack, a forced fumble, a uh, pass to anything. Von Miller, his sacks came in bunches. He had uh, three in week one. He had a sack in week two, and that's it. He's not doing anything to change the course of the game. And you mentioned a DeMarcus, and I'll raise you with DeMarcus. I'll mention DeMarcus Walker. Hmm. I want to throw it out there really quickly. Sure. Why is he not playing? Why are they not having one of their best interior pass rushers push the pocket and make quarterbacks go left and right, right into the lap of Von Miller? Maybe that would help him out. Maybe they need that push because Derek Wolfe's not getting it done. Zach Kerr's not getting it done gots shelby harris they're good in run support but they're really still missing that interior pocket pushing presence and Demarcus walker it off- offers that
2: yeah
3: it was a second round pick and his only sack in the nfl to this point came in week 17 of last year against who patrick mahomes that's right he has a knack of being around the quarterback maybe that would help him out they still don't have that interior pocket pusher And I think that is what Von Miller is lacking. He cannot do it all alone when he's still getting chipped, still getting double-teamed, still getting triple-teamed. They need some help in the interior. So it baffles me completely as to why Walker, a second-round pick, who they converted back to defensive end after a wasted season, is not playing in these games. He needs to suit up. He needs to play over Zach Kerr because Von Miller has proven this season he cannot do it alone.
2: Yeah, I thought this was going to be the game that they finally dressed Walker. Um, not just because of the need to create interior push, but just knowing how well he played against the Chiefs offensive line last year and, and uh, Patrick Mahomes. But I agree with you. Like Week one, one of the biggest differences, if we think back to the first game against Russell Wilson, we were talking about how great the Broncos defense did walking the razor's edge of containing R- Russell Wilson while, all, while also putting uh, the pressure on him. And one of the reasons why they were able to do that is week one they did get an interior push, okay, from a pass rush perspective. Last night, one of the reasons why you didn't see Miller and Chubb get home, especially late in the game when they were able to pin their ears back and just get after him was because there was no complimentary push from the inside. And that's where Demarcus Walker really would have come in handy. Now, we understand Demarcus Walker, it's not like he's some bona fide all pro. I mean, we get it that he's extremely unproven. But he's a second-round pick, and I get and I understand that at this point he's obviously not doing enough behind closed doors to impress his coaches, and it's a very deep group, the D-line. But certain games, I mean, this was the type of game in which he was made for. I mean, that's why you drafted Demarcus Walker, and he has at least the skill set right now today to come in late in a game and rush from the three-tech, rush from the interior, and just get after the quarterback, just pursue and they could have used that athleticism. They could have used his, his inside swim move that he has patented. They could have used that. But unfortunately, he didn't dress. He had to watch from the sidelines as a spectator. But I, I agree with you on that, Zach. It's, it's getting to the point now, four games in a row, he's, he hasn't dressed. At what point do you dress, Demarcus Walker? Are you going to
3: completely scratch his, his sophomore year as a pro? I mean, he might not be a proven a pro bowler, but he's also a second-round pick. He's not some 6th or 7th rounder undrafted free agent. You invested a premium draft pick in this guy. You wasted his full rookie season by moving him to outside linebacker, which is one of the stupidest experiments they could have done, yep. and then have him lose all that weight back again, move him back to defensive end his natural spot, and then to not play him? I thought week one it was a game plan oriented move. I thought, okay, maybe Russell Wilson's a pocket passer. He's a mobile passer. They want, you know, it was a game plan specific thing. But then when he, he didn't dress against Derek Carr or Joe Flacco, two statues in the pocket, that red flag kind of went up to me. Yeah, And I, I don't know what it is. The only thing I can presume, because I get this question a lot on Twitter, on Facebook, why isn't he playing? The only thing I can think of is that he's not showing enough on the practice field or in the classroom. Yep, That's it. He's not a favorite of this coaching staff for whatever reason. They like Zach Kerr over him. But why waste another year? And he's unproven because he's not given a chance to be proven. Dress him. Let him play. Maybe he'll do something. Maybe not. But you'll never know unless you play him. It's just baffling to me.
2: I agree. It is a unique situation, and I've run out of answers for people who are asking why DeMarcus Walker isn't playing. We don't know. And there's some questions about it in the mailbag, which we're going to get to here in just a second. But before we get out of here on the defensive side of the ball— One thing I want to touch on is there's some fans that are kind of knee-jerking over the fact that the Broncos gave up 142 yards on the ground. And I see it, though, here's the thing. I see that as more of an outlier because the team was so zeroed in and focused on stopping Mahomes and stopping Mm -hmm. Kansas City's passing weapons. I mean, that's what's so phenomenal. I mean, that's why Kansas City is a bona fide Super Bowl contender this year is because offensively, at all three levels, they have weapons to gash you. So you can sell out like the Broncos did last night to stop the quarterback and to stop the passing weapons. And if you do that, Kareem Hunt is going to be able to gash you on the ground more often than not. And that's exactly what was able to happen there. The Broncos had to pick their poison, and it just happened to be on a night in which Kareem Hunt was feeling his oats. He was like, you know what? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to sell out to stop the pass. I'm going to eat today. And he... I mean, he had himself a game. He was great, and, but I don't think it's anything to write home about. It's nothing to worry about. It's going to hurt the Broncos short term in the overall league rankings against the run. You're going to see him drop a couple of, of notches uh, in, the, in the rankings, but it will average back out to the mean by the time the season is over. This team is very good at stopping the run, and it's not every week, Zach, that they're going to face a, a unique opponent like Patrick Mahomes.
3: Can I just say, though, as a football fan, how fun it is to watch an Andy Reid offense. Mm. I, I, he gets killed so much and criticized for his clock management or whatever. But the, the play designs and his formations and his motions, it's just so fun to watch. Yep. And I'm saying that as a, as a true diehard fan of football. And he'll never show you the same look twice. He schemes around your weaknesses. And he just does these things that um, it just goes beyond anything you've seen in the NFL. And you can't stop everyone. Like you said, you hit it right on the head. They focused on stopping Travis Kelsey, an All-Pro tight end, uh, Tyree Kill, and they did that. And, and Mahomes, for the most part, for three quarters or so, you can't stop everyone. You can contain them. And I'm not worried about them in run defense. That's the one area of that defense that I'm not concerned with. So they, they kind of—it's it, like um, when you want to give some yardage up, don't, you, you don't want to give the touchdown up on any given play. That's what they did with Kareem Hunt. Were, okay, you can have your game. We'll focus more on Hill, Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. So I'm not worried about the run defense at all. Kareem Hunt's a great running back. He led the league in rushing last year. And there was a couple big runs that he had. They can tackle better for sure. Uh, but I'm not worried about that performance at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, you take away that 46-yard run of his, and he, the Broncos would have shut him down to under 100 yards rushing as a team. But you can't take it away. They gave it up. But it just goes to show, though, a guy like Kareem Hunt is a threat every time he touches the ball. So you got to – the big uglies up front, I mean, they were asked to do a lot with with a little bit less help than they normally get. And against the reigning rushing champion, it just wasn't quite enough. Now, we still got a lot to get to on your mailbag questions and your reactions, and we're going to exercise some demons coming out of Monday Night Football. But first, we got to talk about another sponsor today's show, MyBookie. Because, sure, watching football is fun – but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Guys, you've heard me talk about this for weeks and some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick 3 teams to win and if you hit all 3, You'll turn 100 bucks into $600. It's not just football. You can bet all major sports. Take MMA this weekend. Conor McGregor steps into the octagon Saturday for his first UFC fight in two years. You can bet on things like whether he'll win straight up or whether Khabib will deliver a first-round KO. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. This is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all season. My bookie has been in business for years, They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. If you're listening and you're on the sidelines, now's the time to get in the game. MyBookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you got to join now because they'll be pulling that offer here very soon. Log on to MyBookie right now, double your money, use promo code HUDDLE, and you'll get your first deposit matched 100% up to $1,000. That's promo code HUDDLE. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, before we get out of here, Zach, it's time to take a peek inside the mile-high mailbag because Zach and I, we are your football priests, and each and every week we're here to offer the absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos questions. And this week, you know what, there's a lot of exercising of demons. There's a lot that Broncos country's trying to get off their chest, and we want to be here for you to do that. Uh, and first off, let's talk about Joshua Williams on Twitter, at JoshuaW73440812. Jeez, that's a Twitter handle for you. Dog, you might want to think about editing that uh, Twitter handle. But Joshua, <laughs> his his uh, question is, I am disappointed in the fact we didn't run the ball as much as we should have. And then his question is, King hurt? Because he seems like it. I also wonder why Demarcus Walker isn't getting his fair shot. We've already touched on the Walker thing The only thing I can imagine on King here, before I serve this over to you, Zach, is uh, after the game, I know Vic Lombardi talked about, he thinks uh, it's apparent to him anyway that Marquette King is hurt, and that the Broncos are somehow hiding an injury there with King, and that that's what has precipitated his lackluster play and the addition of that other punter from last week, but I've not heard anything to corroborate that. As far as I know, I mean he's just not living up to expectations. He's just not playing well, and Other than that, your answer for Josh Williams on his disappointment they didn't run the ball. King, your
3: thoughts there? That's kind of a non sequitur. But um, King supposedly reportedly took uh, an MRI today. He was limping in the locker room, and the all tests came back clean. So Mm -hmm. he was, I guess, a a little dinged up. I don't know if they're covering it up like what the Browns did with Josh Gordon and his hamstring, uh, but he's not looked like Marquette King. He was supposed to be a weapon, and he's been anything but that. He's been hurting them. Oh, yeah. pretty much no better than Riley Dixon last year. And it's been a big disappointment. And for whatever reason, Vance Joseph has a, a bone to pick with Marquette King. He's called him out three times now about his performance. They signed Colby Wadman to the practice squad. They worked out another punter on Saturday. Competition is coming for him. And if he doesn't shape up, I mean, he could be a release candidate. Right. I would not put it past the Broncos at all. So um, he was limping to answer your question, Joshua. He was a little dinged up, but it's no major injury. He should start, In next week's game but he's on a very short leash now in terms of the running game I mean we talked about this it's Bill Musgrave he's the play caller he's behind this this offense why you don't stick with the run why you don't ride your hot hand when you know your quarterback is struggling it's just um I don't have any any explanation other than the fact that the Broncos paid Keenum all this money and they want to try to justify their investment and it hasn't paid off for them so far and in a roundabout way, it falls on Vance Joseph. He's the leader of this team. I mean, the play calls go through him for the most part. He has to step in there and say, listen, run the ball more. Stop passing so much. Why doesn't Royce Freeman have one game of over 20 carries? Mm. Or consistently? He's your your pounder. He was carrying defenders in the end zone, breaking tackles. He forced seven missed tackles on the touchdown run. Why only a handful of carries? So, why aren't they running more? You have to ask Bill Musgrave that, but it definitely falls at his feet. Yep. I mean, he's just got to get it
2: through his head. This is not Peyton Manning under center. I mean, you got to rely on your strengths as a team. And right now, Case Keenum, you know, hes it's not like he's some major liability out there, but he's not the tip of the spear. The tip of the spear is Philip Lindsay, it's Royce Freeman, and the big uglies that are just blowing dudes off the ball. So, yeah, until Bill Musgrave really gets that message and it sinks in, we're probably going to continue to scratch our heads wondering why, you know, Royce Freeman's getting less than 10 touches a game. But we move on here to uh, Renzo on Twitter. Question. I know Elway said he would explore a trade before the deadline. Are there any DBs you see us trading for within our budget? Could we package Shane Ray and Devontae Booker? Zach.
3: I answered him on Twitter, but I'll say it again. I don't foresee any major trades before the deadline. I think the Broncos want to give a chance of all their quarterback cornerbacks getting together. Uh, Brock back from injury. Pac-Man Jones played pretty well last night. Mm. He's back healthy now. Um, And Chris Harris Jr. and, of course, Bradley Roby. I don't see any blockbuster trades. They could package Shane Ray. Devontae Booker's out of the question because the Broncos are still high on him. He played the second-most snap slot in yesterday's game. So um, they, they they still have a role for him. Shane Ray is a trade chip, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. The two names you could talk about are Darius Slay and Patrick Peterson. It's just not a financially sound move. It's not financially feasible. They have huge contracts. You have Chris Harris Jr. counting over $10 million against the salary cap. You have Bradley Roby in a contract year. You drafted a third-round cornerback. I mean, you've invested enough. And it makes no sense to trade for a guy with a massive contract. They're not one player away, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think I don't foresee any moves happening. Uh, you never put anything past John Elway at all. The trade deadline is the thirtieth. Still some time there, but I do believe they want to see all their cornerbacks healthy and see what they can do with an amended scheme.
2: Yeah, and I think you know depth continues to be an issue. But if we learned anything uh, from Monday night, it's that if Adam Jones is healthy. You got to you. You can be confident in the top three corners. Like they're gonna more often than not, they're gonna do their job. They're gonna win their matchups more often than not. But the other thing you got to take some heart on here is the fact that you know Joe Woods scheming to his team's strengths favors a guy like Isaac Yatim because you know right he went into that game on Monday night as the fourth corner. And he's a press man guy. Period, end of story. Like that's his game. So if the Broncos continue to roll that way, get him more live bullets. Like it's an issue. I just think that with with Woods, you know, being a little bit smarter in his game plans and the players stepping their game up together, it's not quite as big of a liability and a, and a problem as it seemed like it was those first three games. Uh, but it's it's a team still finding its chemistry, uh, chemistry and finding its way. And I agree with you that. You know, you look at Devontae Booker last night. I mean, he's – you've heard both Zach and I complain about and lament and question why his role and all this for the last month and a half. But last night on that final possession, final – yeah, final possession, make sure I'm remembering this right. He was doing a great job, a phenomenal job, picking up blitzers. Like he was – I mean, he earned his keep yesterday. And even though he only got, I think, two actual touches with his snaps, as Zach said, second among the running backs in in snaps – he earned his keep as a pass blocker. So we'll see how I, – I agree with Zach, though, at the end of the day on, on his answer. I don't foresee any kind of blockbuster trade. I think the Broncos are going to batten down the hatches, hope Jermaine Brock can get healthy, and continue to hope that as a unit, uh, Woods and the defense can, can continue to forge a chemistry and an identity. But we move on to uh, – how do you pronounce that, Zach? That Cristo? Cristo? Criesto. Cristo? Sounds um, like a, a dance – Indeed. Which head coach options are available for 2019? And what would we need to get Peyton Manning as coach slash coordinator? (laughs)
3: I mean, we can all dream, right? That's not going to happen. Peyton yeah. Manning's not coming back in that capacity. He's enjoying his life. He might run for Senate or whatever he's doing in the government. Mm-hmm. Um, head coaching options, if or when the Broncos fire Vance Joseph, and I've, I've had this question so many times because so many Broncos fans hate Vance Joseph, and for good reason. Yeah. They have to hire an offensive-minded head coach. They really missed the boat by skipping Kyle Shanahan, by skipping Sean McVay, And going toward a defensive coach who had one year as a coordinator, and in that one year, his Dolphins defense was among the worst in team history. They made a massive lapse in judgment. And by hiring him, they pushed Wade Phillips out the door. So it was kind of a double whammy. They have to hire an offensive-minded guy. I have four names, two in the NFL, two in college. It's still way too early because assistants kind of take the whole year to kind of make their resume felt and kind of establish their – reputation around the NFL. I will mention two guys in the NFL right now is John Filippo and Matt LaFleur. Those are going to be head coaches in the NFL. And I'd love the Broncos to get one of the two. Not only are they offensive minds, they are quarterback whisperers. And that's what the Broncos need, either with Case Keenum, Chad Kelly, or a quarterback they draft. Two offensive guys in college, I will name, is Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, of course. I don't think he leaves, though. Or David Shaw from Stanford. John Elway and that connection, they're close friends, that's a guy to keep in mind. I think they go the NFL route, though, and if they do, it has to be a guy with an offensive background, so I like John Filippo and Matt LaFleur.
2: Cannot disagree with anything you said there. I'll I'll share also, though, that as I was watching the game on Monday night, I kept thinking about the missed opportunity with Dave Tobe, the special teams coordinator Mm -hmm. in Kansas City, and you know, we if you pay attention to the Game Week Hub article that publishes usually every Thursday on a game week uh, that kind of shows the head-to-head comparisons of measuring the Broncos statistically against their coming opponent, if you noticed in the special teams fact, uh, part of that particular article comparing Denver head-to-head special teams-wise with Kansas City, Dave Tobe's Chiefs were number one in just about every category. And it just it makes a big difference. And even though there weren't a whole lot of – you know, game changing special teams plays made by the Chiefs on Monday night. It was just a they're just a very well coached executing I mean, they just get it done. And I think the Broncos could I mean right now, I would I, I'm I'm lamenting missing out on Dave Toe because I think he is part of that that Andy Reid coaching tree. And I think from a detail oriented uh, perspective he could have been something and I and I could be. That's still there. It's still a possibility. I think that if the Broncos end up going for another uh, head coach here in the near future, you got to take a hard look at Dave Tobe because you had Doug Peterson go uh, leave the tree from from uh, Andy Reid and go win a Super Bowl in Philly, and you got to wonder if Dave Tobe can rekindle some of that same magic because they're just they're good at what they do. If there's anything you can say about the Kansas City Chiefs, it's that they are always well coached under Andy Reid. So you got to like. Dave Tobe as as another possibility moving forward. Just something to keep an eye on. But we move on to our final question. Oh, we got a couple more. Stuart Roach, question. If the Broncos lose, say, three out of the next four, is that it for VJ? And if so, who are we looking at as interim? Now, Zach and I touched on this just before we started recording this episode, that obviously the interim would be, bill musgrave he's an elway Mm -hmm. guy he's a kubiak guy the front office loves bill musgrave and i think vj does too that's one of the reasons why uh he was promoted to permanent offensive coordinator but i think if vj gets the ax zach it's going to be bill musgrave as the interim but what's your question on if the broncos lose three out of their next four is that it for vance joseph because you got the the bye week at what week 10 so Mm -hmm. your answer for stewart
3: yeah, if they lose, let's say, four, that means they lost six in a row. And any extended losing streak after last year when they lost eight in a row, it's going to do it for them. I thought he'd get the whole year and then they'd make a decision at the end of the year. Uh, but if they lose to the Jets on Sunday, a team they should dominate. If they lose six in a row going into the bye, that's the time when you make a change. And they did it with Josh McDaniels. They fired him midseason. And Elway's given Joseph enough rope publicly and privately, and he's allowing him to hang himself. And if they lose six games in a row, um, I think he is gone mid- during the season. And I agree with you that Bill Musgrave would be the interim. Yeah. If they lose Sunday, his seat gets really, really hot. Mm-hmm. If they lose four in a row, it's on fire. And I don't see how you can keep him with the fan morale already down and it coming off last year. I don't know how they don't make a move with a perfect Week 10 week ten by week and then finish off the year with an interim like Musgrave.
2: Yep. Week 10 is kind of the window. To keep an eye on this situation and obviously there's a lot of football to be played between now and then but if the Broncos get to three losses in a row I agree with you on that Zach for the listeners that's when you got to start really noticing the heat rising on Vance Joseph's seat and it would not shock me if the Broncos between now and week 10 lose more games than they win it would not surprise me. For the Bron- to see the Broncos make a change because Elway was basically looking for a reason to do it at the end of the year. He ultimately chose, after sleeping on it, to retain Vance Joseph. But a big reason for that, I think we can all be honest with each other on this, was avoiding the perception that he's a coach killer. So it wasn't necessarily some huge vote of confidence in VJ or some belief in the guy we hired and you know sentiment. It was. It was an, an ego move. It was an ego move. It's self-preservation in a sense. And so I don't think there's just, you know, there's not some massive barrier separating VJ from where he's at now in the unemployment line. So as Zach's talked about on this show multiple times today, it's incumbent upon the Broncos moving forward to win the games they're supposed to win. And like the game on Monday against the Chiefs, at least be in the game when the chips are down and have a shot to win. And if, if they can do those things, they're going to probably win more games than they lose in 2018, but that still remains to be seen. And one last thing I want to say, and well, Zach and I talked about this is another thing before the show we talked about is, you know, look at some of the bright side from what you saw in week four. Zach and I both agree that aside from week two of, of last year against the Dallas Cowboys, that was probably the best, most well coached game plan you've seen from Vance Joseph as yep. head coach of the Denver Broncos. So there is some bright side. There is
3: some silver lining. So just keep that in mind moving forward. All is not let, lost. We're four weeks in. Let me, let me just say one thing about this real yep. quick. Um, the only thing, this is my opinion, the only thing that would ensure Vance Joseph of returning for a third year, guaranteed, is a playoff berth. A winning record would help, but I think anything less than that, eight and eight or below, I think he's gone. So... They lose four games in a row. I, I think it's more probable than not they would fire him. The only thing saving his job for sure for a third year is a playoff berth because they can't justify keeping him around with this talent, the money they spent, all these investments. So uh, yeah. they, they even, if he get, even gets the rest of the year and they finish 6-10, and 10, let's say 7-9, and nine, I think he's gone anyway. Yeah, and I agree with you.
2: And that kind of ties into our next question from Dylan West. What is a realistic ceiling and floor for this team? And when would Keenum be pulled? In parentheses, obviously not now, too much money and not performing as terribly as it seems. Your answer for Dylan
3: West on the realistic ceiling and floor for this team. Uh, before the season, I thought 9-7 and seven would be the ceiling. Maybe, maybe if the stars all align 10-6, and six, but that's not happening, I don't think. Uh, I think 9-7 and is a good record for them. It's a four-win improvement, and they still have holes throughout their roster and the coaching staff. Uh, the floor... It's got to be five and eleven, maybe six and ten, by virtue of having Case Keenum under center, or theoretically, because he mm-hmm. should be an improvement. That should give you a couple more wins, right? And it already has in the first couple of weeks. Um, I think anywhere between seven and nine. To nine and seven, that's the ceiling. That's the floor and the ceiling. In terms of Case Keenum, though, it's going to take a lot, I believe, for him to get yanked. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned already, I think Vance has all his his uh, hope in him, and he's tied to him. Because if he gets pulled and Chad Kelly comes in and Kelly bombs, let's say, uh, that team is going to start losing. If they losing, that means uh, Vance Joseph is probably gone. So the way that they've talked him up, both Elway and Joseph, I think Keenum has a very long leash. It would take multiple, multi-interception games, I believe. For Keenum to get yanked, and to put Chad Kelling in there and have Kevin Hogan as the next man up, so I think his leash is pretty long. Um, he they should come out and and do work against this Jets team next week, but if I don't think he's going to get pulled anytime soon, that's just my feeling. Yeah. I don't think Keenum has a
2: leash in 2018, and barring injury, right. I mean I, just because of how much the Broncos have invested in him, and you go back to the ego thing with Elway, and it's just barring injury case they're going to ride case keenum into the ground this year live and die by case keenum my answer for your ceiling and floor is and i i really haven't seen anything i said this before the season and i haven't really seen anything to throw me off of this i think the ceiling for this broncos team at best is 11 and 5 realistically the ceiling is 10 and 6 and i think the floor is 6 and 10 i don't think the broncos are going to lose uh, more than 11 games this year at worst and so I think 6-10. and 6-10 is, is the realistic floor. Now, we move on to Sean Thill, and then we're out of here. Sean's question was two-part. We've already answered the second part of his question, so I'll serve this up to you, Zach, from Sean. How long until Sutton takes DT's role as the primary receiver
3: opposite of Sanders? I think it's already happened, honestly. I think there's more tangible chemistry that you can see between Keenum and Sutton than Keenum and Thomas. Thomas still gets targeted. They like to force feed him the ball. But as you saw on that, on the like, would-have-been game-winning touchdown, it's just not there. No. And he likes throwing a sudden because the nice thing about having Sutton is his frame and his catch radius, he's either going to snatch your soul or draw a flag. And you've seen that in the preseason, the regular season, and I think Keenum likes that. He likes throwing it up there. And he was close to a, another huge touchdown if he kept his feet in bounds or a long gain. Um, So I think it's already kind of happened, maybe not in title, but by – You can see on the field the chemistry is building between the rookie and the the veteran quarterback. Thomas is being phased out, and I think Sutton is the future. I think Keenum knows that, the Broncos coaches know it, and it won't be long before it happens in title, but I think it's already happening um, unofficially right now. Here's how
2: the targets shook out amongst the top three receivers. On Monday night, both Thomas and Sanders received seven targets. Sutton was just right behind them with six. And so I think the biggest thing for Sutton right now is these 50-50 balls that he's not coming down with. It comes down to having more of a situational awareness of where he's at on the sideline and that corresponding to his body control. And that comes with just more reps and going up against NFL-caliber talent. Like, you know, a couple weeks ago, there was that catch in the end zone, could have been, couldn't you know, whatever it was. We we debated it on the show. With a, you know, in college, that would have been a touchdown because all it takes is one foot. So it's just kind of learning resetting your technique and and retraining your body and your muscle memory to NFL-caliber rules and against NFL-caliber talent. And that's just going to take a little bit of time. But, yeah, I mean, Sutton is right there. I mean, as far as the the seat at the table, it's Sanders. Sutton and Thomas, I think, are kind of tied there for now. And Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of Sutton playing up to his talent level. He's still so close. We've been talking about this for a couple weeks
3: now. So close, Zach, to just – Busting out and turning the corner. What's encouraging about Sutton though is even when he lands out of bounds, he's still making clear possession of the ball.
2: ball, Yeah,
3: he's gripping it and he has those iron hands, those big strong hands. So that's very encouraging. Once he learns, like you said, where the sideline is, gets a little more comfortable, he's gonna be a star. Yep. He's the next Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall, the next number one for this Broncos offense. So the upside is there. You're starting to see it kind of come out, and it will not be long before he overtakes Thomas as the bona fide big body possession receiver. There's a lot to like about him. It's neither here nor there, but the receiver, the best Bronco receiver I've
2: ever seen in terms of body control and awareness was Brandon Lloyd. It was a very short tenure mm-hmm. in yep. Denver, and he had that one phenomenal Pro Bowl season over 1,400 yards receiving, but... That dude was the epitome of body control. But hey, you know what, guys? Listen, your Denver Broncos through the first quarter of the season are two and two. So they're treading water in terms of expectations, and they're building chemistry. They're building grit. They're building experience together. It's a collective process in which they're still relearning how to win, coming off a, you know, just a disappointment of 2017 that was. Very traumatic to the organization, to the players, and the guys who had been around here since the Super Bowl. And So, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time for this team to really galvanize around each other, forge identities on both sides of the ball, and start really playing the type of complementary football that results in consistent wins week after week. So it's still early. Don't jump to too many conclusions. Don't knee-jerk. Resist that in the media right now. But that's all the time that we got for you today your Broncos are 2-2, and hang in there. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. And make sure you are subscribing, you guys, no matter where you're listening to the show, because as you can tell, you never know what's going to happen, game in and game out. It's going to be a heck of a season. You're not going to want to miss a single episode. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon.